You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the sixth week of the No Block, No Rock podcast. This is one of your hosts, Jared Hall. Mike Delaware. Eric Morrow. We have a special guest here with us. We're going to let this intro play us out, and then we'll get this episode started. Oh my goodness, he did it again. Brandon Riley hauls one in for another big gain. to the far side, Riley to the near side, snap back to Tommy, being rushed, throws for Riley toward the near side, Riley, he went out of bounds, Riley went out of bounds, touchdown Riley, but he went out of bounds, he went out of bounds, the hat has come off, I don't think this is going to stand, Riley came back in bounds to make the catch, this place is going berserk. And the officials are talking right now. Riley went out of bounds. The defensive back was out of bounds as well with him. Did he push him out of bounds before he came back in? And did he establish his feet back in bounds before he came down with it? What a throw from Tommy. The way on the field is the receiver was forced out of bounds, came back in, reestablished himself as a player, caught the pass for a touchdown. Oh, my goodness. It's going to stand, and the Huskers have the lead with 17 seconds left. Oh, my goodness. Brandon Riley, welcome to the NBNR podcast. It's nice to have you. Thanks for having me. Um, I think we'll just kind of have this be like a question-answer kind of session, I guess, if that's all right with you. Okay. So question number one. As you know, the name of our podcast is the No Block, No Rock podcast. You can probably guess where we got that name from. I have an idea. Would, would you say that's like a, a legitimate philosophy to have, like as an offense, if you're a coordinator or a head coach? Yeah, I'm all about it. I agree completely. And, you know, when I was at Nebraska, Keith Williams, our receiver coach, he uh, ingrained that in us um, pretty hard. And, you know, he told a story back in college. He blocked uh, on the outside for Marshall Falk. And, you know, one Ooh. game he missed a block and Marshall Falk – Marshall Falk took a bad hit to the knee, and, I mean, fortunately he wasn't hurt bad, but, you know, it puts things in perspective. And, 
he would always say, you know, if you run a deep go round, you're wide open, and you know you don't get the ball, you're all pissed, and then you see the film, and the running back completely misses his guy, you wouldn't be very happy. So, kind of rolls reverse there, and you block for the running back, so then you know he picks up and pass protection when when you're open. Okay, I like that. I like that. You even brought a little Marshall Falk in the end of this podcast. That's Any like, Marshall Falk references are welcome here. That's my favorite running back of all times. I love that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and, you know, I th- we play like. We kind of make fun of it a little bit, like, oh, no block, no rock. If you don't block, you're not going to get the ball. And, you know, if you saw some of the receivers that we had out there, it was like maybe maybe they're playing this philosophy a little too literally. It's like, I don't know. You see some guys out there that probably block better than they catch. Yeah, you for know? sure. And, and you have different uh, personnel groupings where, you know, if you're in a four-minute offense at the end of the game trying to run the clock out, maybe we'll have – Different receivers in, you know, in Nebraska, Stanley Morgan was one of our best blockers. So in that situation, he'd be in there. and So just personnel groupings and, and coaches, you know, would do that every now and then. But at the end of the day, everyone has to be able to block. And if you can't, then you're probably not going to get the rock. Okay. So okay. do you think that some of those guys, maybe like a Cade Warner or something, that's out there playing maybe ahead of, I don't know, we'll use, just use Marcus Fleming as an example. Mm-hmm. Marcus Fleming, I don't know, I mean, he transferred, he's gone, who cares? But... He transferred, maybe upset about not playing over like a guy like a Cade Warner because Cade Warner maybe blocks a little better. Do you think that should dictate if you have more talent athletically, uh, being on the field versus someone who can block better than you? Do you have to be a well-rounded guy for that? You know, I think the main part is trust, trust within the coaches. And being able to block definitely builds trust. But, you know, with a lot of younger guys, complex offenses, you know, getting lined up in the right spot and doing the right thing. And, you know, in offensive football, if one guy's off, the play's not going to work. And so, you know, I think blocking is just one portion of building trust with the coaches. But it's a whole, a lot of things, a lot of variables that go into building that trust. And, you know, I think blocking is definitely one of them. But, you know, getting lined up, knowing what you're supposed to do, different reads on routes, so you don't leave your quarterback out to dry, I think plays a big part as well. Okay. That's where I think Cade, Cade I'm sure he knew the offense very well. He did his role and did his job. And, you know, he was voted captain for a reason. So yeah. I think all those variables, you know, was why he was on the field. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so let's let's just pop off the the football talk for just a, a quick second, all right? Yeah, sure. We're sitting here filming a podcast. <laughs> we have a couple cold ones open. Mm-hmm. What is your light beer preference, all right? I mean, you like are you a Bush guy, Bud guy, Coors, Miller? I mean, I hope not Miller, but what, I mean, like, what is your preferred preferred beer choice? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think you can go wrong, you know. But I will agree with you. Miller Light is not. Towards the top of my list, you know, I kind of, I kind of, I've got some buddies that drink Bush Light, so if I'm with them golfing, I'll drink that. And but if I'm out to a restaurant or something, and you know, after a long day or a long week, you know, I'll usually go Bud Light or Coors Light. Okay, awesome, awesome, sweet. Guinness is the way to go. Just saying. <laughs> Guinness. Well, I, I just want to get this question out of the way since you did mention him first, and that was like kind of the one question that I wanted to ask was about uh, Coach Dub. So yeah. he just got hired by my favorite NFL team, the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. And so I think this is like good timing. But I did kind of just want you to get into what makes him such a sought-after wide receiver coach. I mean, you had big-time dudes like Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill go to him specifically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, what is it about Coach Dub 
that makes these guys want to go to him? Uh, his communication, how he can relate to everyone. You know, he's been the lowest of lows in life, and he's been at a very high level in life, and so he can relate to everyone. But then, just how he communicates the position and the, it's a way of life, and and the drills he does, it makes it easy for the brain and the body to understand it. And and he's just he's a professional when it comes to teaching technique and whatnot. And you know, he had the biggest impact in my football career, and it's really not even close. I think I had six career catches when he got there, and one year with him, I, th I think I led the Big Ten in yards per catch, and, you know, that's all to him and just the mindset. You know, he just gets into people, and, you know, early on he uh, he said to me one day, he's like, you know, I think I expect more out of you than you expect out of yourself, and, you know, you go home and look yourself in the mirror, and that kind of slaps you in the face, and and so, you know, I can't say enough good things about him, but it's for sure just, you know, his communication skills and how he can relate to guys. And, you know, that's why his name is spread all over the NFL, all over college. And, you know, now that he's in the NFL, I think he'll be there for a long time. That's amazing. I mean, it couldn't happen to a better guy, too. For sure. You know, he was as a GA grinding, living out of his car for a while to, you know, obviously a very high-paying, great coaching position at Nebraska. So, you know, he's seen it all, done it all, and, you know, he'll do anything for his players. That's awesome. Taking with the, the coaching stuff, can you, you describe the, the differences between playing for Bo and playing for for Mike? Because those are about as opposite of personalities as you can get. Yeah, so. you know, that's they're definitely both ends of the spectrum for sure on that. And, you know, I, I don't have anything bad to say about either of them. You know, Pelini was he was, a, he was a player's coach. Everyone, you know, would would die for him on the field you know you were going to get the best out of him and you know Riley wasn't as you know in your face as Pelini but you know he hired uh, great position coaches like Keith Williams to do the coaching he kind of sat back so you know two different philosophies and whatnot but you know they both gave me a chance and so I have nothing bad to say but you're definitely right it's two ends of the spectrum on that <laughs> and maybe you know because once Bo left got fired excuse me it's like we had to get someone who was the polar opposite of him. Mm -hmm. And it, sometimes you, you wonder, was it too polar of an opposite? You know, it makes you think like, you know, wh what's the what's the middle ground there between, you know, a Mike Riley and a Bo Pleen? Yeah, you know, it, it's tough. And, you know, Nebraska, it's a hard place to be a head coach. And, you know, I think Frost is finding that out. And, you know, I think he's the guy for the job. If he's not, I don't know who is. But, uh, yeah. You know, we can't be we can't be running him out of town and you know, people saying things left and right, you just you gotta trust in what he's doing and let him let him coach and you know, there's a reason he's the coach he is and he took UCF from winless to undefeated, so you know, he knows what he's doing and I'm impatient as everyone, but you know, I'm optimistic in it and you know, I uh, I can't wait till we get on top again. I totally agree, as is this entire podcast. <laughs> um Okay, let's yes. let's go into your playing career a little bit. Um, what was your favorite moment? Is there anything that stands out above everything else? Yeah, I mean, the obvious one is, you know, the Michigan State game and how that ended. But, you know, personally for myself, um, my last game, our, our bowl game against Tennessee, was probably my favorite. You know, I was a Sam Fultz captain for that game, so obviously that had a big impact um, for me. And I had a good game. and Two tutties, right? Too young, finally, for that year. And, uh, 
I think that was a game that allowed me to get a chance in the NFL, too. So, personally, for me, that was a, a big one. But, obviously, big-picture, team-oriented, Nebraska-oriented, the Michigan State game. Okay. Yeah. I was at that game in, in Nashville. That was fun. Yeah. I, was, I had a lot of drinks. That was great. <laughs> you deserved it. It's a good place to have a lot of drinks. Absolutely. Good music, good drinks, right? <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> um, well, like, yeah, that I expected, you know, the Michigan State moment to be your top moment but you know I'm surprised to hear about the the Tennessee moment Mm -hmm. you know just because you know you look back on that game and you're like they kind of got trounced like they got handled up front and it just wasn't Alvin Kamara was pretty good huh we we found that out I mean Alvin Kamara was uh, legit they had some good guys on that team where if you look back you're like oh yeah he he was pretty good and you know Tommy was out but Riker stepped up Nate Gary was out which obviously hurts when the best player in your defense isn't there and but it was, you know, it was an opportunity for other guys to, you know, get on the field and, and try to make some plays. And, you know, although we didn't get the win, you know, that's probably why it, it wasn't my favorite because right. I'm kind of a team guy. But, you know, selfishly, personally, that was the biggest game for me. Okay. And so we talked about kind of the highlights. Is there any either game or maybe a specific play that keeps you up at night? Well, there's a few of them out there for sure. <laughs> well, let's, let's narrow it down to Nebraska. Yeah. Maybe, you know, yeah. XFL, but... <laughs> um, Nebraska, my least favorite play, honestly, was uh, we had a home game against Illinois. And I knew that game where my mom was sitting. She was in the corner of the end zone. And I had a slant route, and I was wide open. It would have caught it and ran right to her about 60 yards. <laughs> and I thought about that a little too quick, and I dropped it, and... It was probably the worst drop I've ever had. <laughs> so that awesome. one stings. And then and your mom's just shaking her head. I know. So disappointed. <laughs> and then when I was in Buffalo, my second year, the first preseason game, uh, kind of had a wrong route on one. There's a little miscommunication. I ended up breaking my ribs. And, oh. you know, that ultimately was the reason why I got cut um, at the end of that preseason. So obviously that one haunts me a little bit, but. Hey, what can you do? You keep moving on and, you know, attack the next challenge in life. Heck, yeah. So what was a team that you looked forward to playing against um, when you were playing for Nebraska? Like, was there, like, a team that really got you juiced, like Iowa, Ohio State? Like, what what games just got you juiced more than the regular just day-to-day game? Yeah. Um, you know, growing up in Nebraska, playing there, every game was big for me. But obviously, Iowa you get up a little more about, and then – you know, playing Miami was always, you know, it was a big one, I thought. Just feel a little more attitude and aggression, both sides of the, both teams, I guess. And, you know, when they came to, to Lincoln, you know, there's a couple of fights stewing. Oh, yeah. And then we played at Miami. I was pretty excited for that. I mean, you're pulling into their stadium. You got their fans hitting the bus. And there was a two, three-year-old on his dad's shoulders flipping off the bus. And oh, so, my you know, that was <laughs> Just getting off the bus, you felt the energy there, and you knew it was going to be a fun game. And, you know, I remember that game, we were down big early and battled back and ended up, ended up losing in overtime. But, you know, it was still had a, still had a good time. Didn't they lose a couple guys? There was a couple targeting calls, too. Didn't one guy, like, spare yeah, you? <laughs> I took one to the mouth, and Sam Cotton got he, – he got hit probably harder than I did. This guy got ejected. <laughs> Keep on going. That's what happens when you get down early and they know you're passing. The safeties can drop a little deeper and take a little better angles. <laughs> Start going downhill and yeah. just 
you know, lower the helmet probably. Yeah, nothing, nothing like seeing the ball coming, and in the corner of your eye you see a guy sprinting ready to kill you, and you're just praying the yep. ball gets there soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of along the same lines, I guess. Um, is there, was there like a, we'll stick to end conference. So was there like any coach or team that you went up against that you look forward to play because you expected to have a good game? Like, was there kind of a coach or team that you knew that you could probably do very well against? Um, not necessarily. It kind of all really depended on the game plan and kind of what the coaches thought, who would be featured in the game plan, and what was going to work and whatnot. But, you know, obviously the our side of the division, those games you get up for a little more because they have a little more impact. and. You know, but like I said earlier, you know, truly growing up here, walking on here, and getting a chance to, you know, have an impact on the offense. Every game I look forward to, and you know, you can't take anything for granted because you never know when that last play will be. Yeah. What was the uh, the uh, most intimidating place? Intimidating place? Yeah. Um. Well, I was just kind of weird. They have a pink locker room, which is. <laughs> I think pretty stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like intimidating by any means. But uh, their fans are really close to the bench, so it's it's always kind of fun. It's better if we're up on them and not down. Because if we're down, they can they can taunt you and say a lot of a lot of shit to you. And they're within swinging distance. I think one time we had to get Randy Gregory almost out of the crowd, so that was always an interesting. Like but yeah. Almost a Ron Artest kind of incident, or what? <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> Pretty close, but... Uh, Jared, I believe his name is... Had a world piece. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. But, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, a fan probably said something to Randy he shouldn't have, thinking he can get away with it, and, you know, Randy wasn't having Wrong. it. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I cheered for the St. Louis Battle Hawks. That was my team. I mean, yeah. not just because you had all the former Oscars. I'm a Cardinals fan. I have, like, Missouri connections and stuff. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> um, was there anything about the XFL that was different from the NFL? Or was it just kind of, like, the same kind of professional, go through the, the training program? Like, was there anything about the XFL that was, like, maybe more interesting than the NFL? Um, it was the same kind of basis along things, but maybe not as intense and you know meetings probably weren't as long and you know repercussions of things probably aren't as worse fines aren't worse obviously you're not making as much money there but you know kind of the structure along things was very similar because you know most guys on the team played in the NFL at some point most of the coaches have been in the NFL at some point so things were modeled pretty similar to an NFL type day and type week. Okay. So did you know that the league was going to just like just close shop one day, or were you just like shocked like everybody else? Yeah, we were pretty shocked, but you know when we saw the NBA get um, canceled, we thought we were probably in trouble. But you know the ratings were great. Yeah, in St. Yeah. Louis, you know the the Blues, NHL, they won the Stanley Cup the year before, and the TV ratings were actually better for our games. Wow! And we were selling out, and you know I think our our next home game was a week away. They already had over fifty thousand tickets sold, which. You know, St. Louis was it was a perfect market for the XFL. You yeah, know, they were dying to get football back there, and Rams left. Rams left, and they've been pretty salty since. So I mean, I had a blast. I made a lot of good guys. We had a lot of fun, but who would have thought a pandemic was going to roll through? You know, oh, gosh. So did you play in the Rams like old? 
Yeah, yeah, we played in the dome, and so that was a pretty cool experience. Edward Jones, or that was yeah. called Edward Jones, yeah. Jones, right? Yeah, and then our receiver coach was Oz Hakeem, who he Oz. played for the Rams yeah. back in the day. And Heck yeah. He and then, uh, Coach Dub actually know each other, so kind of could relate there. And It's crazy when you get in the football world. Everyone kind of knows each other from somewhere and make connections and you know, a lot of lifelong friendships. Heck yeah. So maybe we want to roll into maybe let's let's go back into Nebraska here. Okay. Um, what's your opinion about the current wideout room? And obviously we lost Wandale, who is our best receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a couple guys unproven. We brought in a guy, Mari Tori, who was very good at the FCS level. Um, but I mean, what what are your thoughts on the the wideout room now? I mean, we a lot of unproven guys, but what do you think about that? Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of room for someone to step up. And, you know, Betts showed some good signs last year, and I'm a fan of him. I think another year of learning the offense, getting more comfortable, he'll be able to play faster and get the ball more. Obviously, you know, you lose J.D. year four, you lose Wandell, Cade Warner's gone, Fleming leaves. There's not a lot of proven guys, so there is that, you know. You hear all about Omar Manning and the new guy you said coming in and you know, I'm not negative, I wouldn't say, but I don't hop on the bandwagon too early because, you know, a lot of people did with Elmar and you don't know what happened and then they just constantly let down and let down and let down and like, well, I'm going to wait till I see something before, you know, I start hyping. You know, I want I want Elmar to be great because I hear he's a freak. Yeah, that's what we heard too. He's literally like chiseled from Jesus Christ himself. The yeah. guy's a specimen. When I hear it, like, when Biblical. I hear it, when I first heard about him and see him, you know, I think of a Quincy and Newman, just a physical freak. And Quincy, it took, took him too long before Nebraska would realize and got him the ball. Because yeah. he should have got the ball ten times a game. So I'm hoping Omar, is he still there, I think? Yeah, he's actually, from what I've heard from a couple people, is that he's actually leading workouts. Okay. Um, I think this week some guy, some troll account on Twitter, tweeted at him and was like, oh, you shouldn't be at Nebraska. And then he tweeted back and said, GBR for life. So, yeah. I mean, that's a good sign, right? I mean, it can't be negative. Yeah. No, the guy's still here. And you can, because you, you never know what people are going through mm-hmm. out of outside of football. You know, these are young guys. They come from all sorts. You don't know what their family situation is, whatnot. So I, I don't ever bash people, but I try to, you know, wait a little bit before I hop on the bandwagon. Well, us Nebraska fans are, <laughs> like, you think you learned a lesson, but then the next guy just comes right along, and it's like, this is the one. Yeah. <laughs> Please, God, you are our next Brandon Riley. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Sticking with the Nebraska football team, I'm sure you've heard this discussion about culture, culture, culture. Well, the C word. <laughs> Not the other C word. <laughs> the C word. <laughs> culture, culture, culture. <laughs> So just kind of looking back when you were on the Nebraska team, would I mean, would you say, and this is just going to be like a multi-question question, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. Would you say you had a good culture? How would you define it in your own words, what culture is? And do you think there's like anyone on the team that kind of exemplified that leadership role that everyone kind of looked to, like during practice or during the game, that just set a good example? Yeah, for sure. You know, culture is kind of tough. Everyone has different interpretations of that and and what all goes into a culture. And, you know, obviously the perfect culture, which, you know, back in the 90s, it was, it was 
all ways of life. You know, you had the school part, guys weren't really missing classes, doing the right thing, weren't missing workouts, not late to meetings. So I think culture goes full circle to all that. But when I was there, you know, we did. Our, the rock-solid core and foundation of the team, you know, was was a good culture. And you had guys on offense and defense where, you know, if a guy at practice was was loafing around or late to workouts, you know, you had a Nate Gary, you had a Bando, you had a Mike Rose, you had Malik Collins, guys like that. You know, they'd get in your face. And same thing on offense. You know, Tommy was a very vocal leader and, you know, and when Keith Williams got there, we had our own standards basically in our receiver room where we weren't going to screw up because we were close-knit group, but we also weren't going to let our coach down because he was doing everything for us. Yeah. So I think there, you know, maybe the culture wasn't as good for the entire, you know, 120 maybe guys we had on the team, which it's hard to do because, as I said earlier, you got guys from all different backgrounds. you got coaches coming in and out. You know, I think Nate Gary had four different defensive back coaches, so, you know, that caused some controversy within guys. But, you know, the main the main part of the team, you know, I feel we had a good culture, and, you know, everyone talks, you know, we didn't lift and we're late to lift. You know, we, we uh, that's that's a lie. <laughs> Brendan Riley doesn't so wait, squat. You know, Brendan Riley wasn't squatting? No, no, he was definitely squatting. No. <laughs> Let me tell you, the max front squats are the one. Not we, just, we were in there doing them. Not just, front, not just back squats, but front squats. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you obviously squatted, but just kind of going back to our, the current team. I know, I know you said earlier that, you know, you're full on the frost boat. I mean, we, we are fully on the frost boat. But just kind of watching them in the past few years, is there anything on the field that you see that is kind of alarming that might stand out to a former player as opposed to just a fan who might be more emotional than maybe you could be. Like, is there anything you see that's alarming and that needs fixing right now? Initially, you know, I'd say is, you know, the unforced, unforced errors, unforced penalties. You know, you got the, you got false starts, obviously defensive offsides where you're just giving them free yards and that hidden yardage adds up in games and, you know, Piggybacking off that, just penalties in general. So seem to always get have quite a few penalties where you know we're kind of driving and then a holding or got a third and long. We have a pi stuff like that or another hidden thing you know in teams and the good teams is you know Tom Brady when he gets in the fourth quarter he usually always has three timeouts left. And when you have to call timeouts early in games that you don't need, you know that could affect you later on in the game. And you know, getting back to, you know, Nebraska days where we had a big-time pass rush. And, you know, late in the season, I think we saw it come on a little bit more. But it's still, I don't think, where it needs to be. And, you know, I know they're working hard up there. And hopefully this offseason we can, you know, find one or two guys that are, you know, big-time pass rush threat and, you know, can, can put some fear in some quarterbacks. Hopefully Paldarius Payne is the guy. Yeah, right he, he came on late last year. Yeah. He was fun to watch. And, and the whole D-line was... I mean the whole year. Yeah, they, no, they were the they were year. they were the bright spot of the defense. Obviously, Cam Taylor Britt. I'm a big fan of him. He uh, he's one of the few DBs over the years that turns and looks for the ball, and I never <laughs> never understood why more people don't do that because most balls hang in the air a little bit longer, and you turn, and he makes a lot of plays, and he plays with energy, and I really think that defense feeds off him. You usually don't see that from a corner, and a younger corner last year, and. So, you know, he's uh, I'm a big fan of him. And talk about earlier I set the bandwagon, I'm 
all aboard Cam Taylor. Heck he is, yeah. Uh, he's fun to watch. CTB. Well, CTB, I mean, he's a playmaker. Yes. He, he makes plays that we just haven't seen in the past. One of the big things about Nebraska's defense is that, yeah, we don't force that many turnovers. So if you get a, a guy like CTB making plays, you know, it's just he stands out way more than anyone else because he's flying around and he's yeah. Just, I agree. You know. the, the the forcing turnovers that's another big big part and you know I think a lot of Husker fans this year you know you have Levante David on more primetime games and Husker fans are seeing him constantly play and I think that just brings back memories when he was at Nebraska and you know I heard things that he didn't even know the defense he was just a ball hawk he would just see it and go and he would always get the ball out. Well, that and that's I think that's one of the big reasons why he didn't play a lot is because he didn't know the playbook. Mm-hmm. And then someone got injured. Excuse me, I don't remember his name, but some someone think broke their leg, and then so they had to put him in. And Fisher. it's like, yeah, I think it was Sean Fisher. Sean Fisher. Fisher. That he, sounds about right. Yeah, it's yeah. making the most of the opportunity and kind of like we were talking about earlier. My buddy Taylor Heineke gets an opportunity and runs with it. Levante David yeah. gets in the spotlight, never turned back. You know, mm-hmm. he's Super Bowl he's champ. Trick. He's about to sign a huge off-season extension, he deserves it. But, you know, if we can get those linebackers like him back in the day where, you know, they're getting turnovers and helping the offense, especially if the offense is struggling. You know, I think when we played what, Purdue, you know, we block a punt and whatnot, it changes the game. It gives offense better field position and things start rolling. So those turnovers are huge, and, you know, hopefully we can create more. Saw that at Purdue last year. Yeah. yeah. I got to say, uh, CTB has been like my favorite player on the defense ever since he set foot on campus. Just kid has a nose for for the ball, and I think that I think he's like I think he's like he's starting to teach it now to the younger guys because you saw Miles Farmer yeah make some plays also yeah he kind of had two interceptions when you know he wasn't even supposed to be in at that time and just making the most of the opportunity yeah. You know, now next season when he gets in, he's already going to have some game experience and some big play, you know, mentality. And mm-hmm. I agree. I think Cam Taylor Britt, I think the defense feeds off him and his energy and playmaking skills. And, you know, the defense really turned it on. And, you know, Coach Shenander, he, he deserves a lot of credit because, you know, I I was even skeptic, skeptical a couple of years back of, you know, what was going to happen. Are we going to give up 60 points or not? And, you know, they, they turned the corner and, you know, I, uh, you got a lot of guys coming back. I'm excited for that group. We've been standing chins ever since we started this podcast. Yeah. I know it was like a, a short sample last year, you know, weird season, blah, blah, blah. But that looks so encouraging on the defensive side. Mm-hmm. I, we just got to get the offense all taken care of. Yeah, when that comes, you protect the quarterback and you get guys running the right routes and where he can trust them and build and trust and – you know, I, I'm, I'm an Adrian fan. A lot of people know that. And there's a lot that goes into plays and quarterback play. And, you know, if you're worried about someone missing their block and if you're not sure if someone's running the right route, it's tough to it's tough to play the position. And, you know, I expect a big year out of him, and he knows I expect a big year out of him. Heck and yeah. I'm his biggest fan, but, you know, I'm, uh, I'm excited for him. Yeah, 2 a.m. He, he's going to get it done this year. Uh, one more thing on Cam Taylor Britt. I mean, the guy plays with so much passion, and I, I think some of those guys could start feeding off of it and take a little notes on that because if that passion moved over to the offensive side of the ball, like I don't know who could be that guy on the offensive side of the ball. I think Adrian's a good leader, but if somebody on the offensive side of the ball could take that same passion that Cam Taylor-Bred has on the defense, 
I think the the offense could really start moving. Like I think they they could finally take those steps they need to take. Yeah, I agree, and I think I think it's Jurgens. You know, offense starts with a center, and Jurgens is a physical freak. And I think if he just gets nasty and he starts pancaking some guys and gets the the younger O linemen to rally behind him, I think he could be the guy for sure. And you know, a lot of Husker fans, you know, Mike's myself included to a point is, you know, Fedoni's coming there and everyone talks very highly, you know, he needs to be a freshman All-American. I say just pump the brakes. The kid's probably not even 18, maybe 18 coming in. That's a big, that's a big change in his life and he's already going to feel pressure. We don't need to add unneeded pressure to him. He's a good football player, but you think I saw something about Marlon Humphrey, one of the best corners in the NFL. He goes to Bama, red shirts. He doesn't even play, and look what he is to this day. So, it's crazy. you know, everyone's different, but I think people put unneeded pressure on these young kids, and, you know, it's a, it's a lot to handle. Yeah, and I know we don't want this to be a Fedoni podcast, but, you know, a lot of people are high on him, like you said, and we talked about this during the break. Seathan Carter, a physical freak, mm-hmm. underutilized. So that's why I'm cautiously optimistic about Fedoni. Just because we haven't used our tight end. Dude, I mean, Matt Herring, I think that's the last dude I can think of. <laughs> that dude was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> that like, guy was a freak. Like, we, I mean, in Austin Allen, he had a pretty good year last yeah. year. You know. He's got a lot of upside. I, I like Austin Allen's he's game. And giant. Frost is creative. You know he's going to find ways to get those guys the ball. And, you know, I'm excited. We have, we have and, uh. The Rutgers guy, the tight ends. Uh, Travis Vocal. Is he still back? Yeah, he's yeah. back too. I mean. so, so that's three pretty solid tight ends right there. So that's a, a big group for the offense. Matt Herring was so good until he broke his leg in his career. He played about six years, maybe. I felt like well, he was yeah. forever. Kyler Reed, he was a freak Kyler, athletic. Yeah. yeah. That's another one. Yeah, Kyler Reed was good. God, yeah. I like that guy. Yeah, my, when I first got there, it was him and Ben Cotton. Ben Cotton was more the big, mean blocker. Yeah. Tyler was the finesse, you know, route runner. And, yeah, so, I mean, we got a great group of tight ends there. Hopefully get a couple receivers to step up and, you know, make that offense pretty uh, pretty fun to watch. I agree. I agree. Well, let's let's roll into our last question. Um, so, last week, Scott Frost added Jason Peter and Jay Foreman to the staff or to help the team. Volunteer coaches. Volunteer coaches. Yeah. Um do you think this is a good thing? And can young players still relate to guys from the '90s? You know, like the golden days. You know, get, can they still relate to those guys? Uh, I mean, it definitely is not a bad thing. I don't think it can hurt at all. Both those guys have a, a wealth of knowledge and obviously experience. And you know, I think for some guys playing, you know, they hear about the '90s stuff from fans, and you know, it's probably hard for them to relate to that. But when you got guys who lived it and played it, and they're in your weight room, they're in the meeting room, and they're preaching right to you, I think that hits hits a little different. So I think it'll be a good thing for those guys. And, and you know, I don't know Jason Peters well, but I know Jay Foreman and think very highly of him. And, you know, he's got, obviously, his career says enough for itself. And he'll get them linebackers going. And, and Jason Peter, I think he's helping out in the weight room maybe a little bit. Yeah. And, and I think it'll just bring another little added enthusiasm and – and camaraderie amongst the team, and, you know, I think it was a great great play by Frost, and he's digging in the playbook even in the offseason, so I'm excited for it. Heck, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I don't think it could be a bad thing. I mean, you got guys that are maybe the best at their position, maybe ever, at Nebraska, and to have those guys 
give some of that knowledge off to some of these guys that maybe are just one piece away from making a play. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's a great thing. Yeah, and Jay Foreman kind of talked to more about what his role would be. He kind of shed some light on that, and he's obviously not going to be wearing a headset on the sidelines. He's not going to be stepping on Bear Root's toes or anything like that. He's just kind of he's going to be a guy that you can talk to, a guy that you know can maybe be that coach dub that was for you. Yeah, you know, maybe. be that guy that you don't want to let down. Yeah, you know, be a mentor to some guys, and yeah. everyone relates to people differently, and. You know, if Rude's busy helping with a few guys, he can step in and help the next guy, so they're ready to go. And You know, everyone builds off each other, and it's a team thing from the last guy on the roster to the last coach on the staff. Was there any uh, former Huskers that maybe did the, a similar role when you were at Nebraska? Um, you know, they, they would come around a lot, and, you know, even at practice, you know, you see guys roll up to practice, and it's like, oh, maybe I should go a little harder on this one. And then you're mm-hmm. thinking to yourself, why wasn't I going that hard in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, in the locker room before games, you see them there in the tunnel walk or, you know, a lot of former players, they have a spot on the sideline for games and you see those guys standing there and you know what, they, they built the foundation and, you know, you don't want to even let those guys down just along with your teammates. So it for sure brings, you know, an added uh, added energy, I think, amongst the guys. Heck yeah. Okay. Okay, so the last question that's on everybody's mind, you were in bounds against my party, right? You see what they're called? <laughs> I think the highlight said itself. Thanks, Greg. He was he was totally forced out. He he was not tired at all. He totally knew where he was the whole time. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. All right. Well, that I mean that wraps up kind of our our question and answer session. Um, yeah. Is there kind of anything that you like want to plug? Like because we're a big big podcast now you have like a twitter account that you want to get out there (laughs) you know business card that has a number on it (laughs) no man i just appreciate you guys and you know i'm glad i could help or if you got any questions that after you know ask whatever you want i'm a i'm an open book and you know i love connecting with husker fans because obviously growing up in nebraska i'm a huge husker fan and always will be and you know i love to connect with everyone so let me know if you got questions sweet okay well, thank you for your time tonight. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Um, just to wrap up this episode of No Block, No Rock, we just kind of want to acknowledge the Hoffman family at this time. Unfortunately, um, Andy Hoffman, the father of Jack Hoffman, passed away on Monday night. And we just want to express our condolences and let them know that we are thinking of the Hoffman family at this time. Um, if you guys want to say a word about this, go ahead. Yeah, you know, early in my career at Nebraska, um, Team Jack was getting going and Rex Burkhead was, was leading the charge there. And, you know, Andy and Jack were always around the team. And, you know, at the spring game, it was a big play that, you know, the whole entire world knows about. And, you know, that was one of my favorite days at Nebraska. And, you know, Andy was, you know, he was the perfect father, I feel. You know, he would do anything for his family. He was selfless. And, you know, when he came around our whole team, you know, if he was talking, everyone was listening, and he, he drew that attention from everyone, and, and he deserved it, and, you know, like you said, you know, our condolences to the to the Hoffman family, and, you know, the whole the whole state's thinking of him. Yeah, and just, just to piggyback on that, obviously, I feel like the state of Nebraska is kind of like a family as a whole, and uh, Jack touched a lot of lives, and 
Andy being that rock for Jack was a big deal in this state for a long time. And um, yeah, my condolences go out to that family. And so we'll just ask our listeners if, if you're able to just visit teamjackfoundation.org and leave a donation if you're able to. And I think that's good. Well, hey, that was a pretty, a pretty enlightening interview with Brandon Riley. I mean, that dude just kept it real. Yeah. Just an absolute chill guy. I just wants to drink a little beer and talk a little sports. I mean, literally just meshed so well with the No Block, No Rock podcast. Just a bunch of guys being guys dudes. Yeah. <laughs> and like Eric said, he wasn't just a guy that gave one-word answers, yes, no. He went into some things and elaborated a little bit, which we appreciated very much. Absolutely. Um, Brandon, if you're listening, thank you again. I don't know how many times I can tell you thank you in person, but... <laughs> Thank you again for doing what you did. And hey, if any of our listeners want to give us some other suggestions about former players that you'd like to have us host on the NBNR podcast, don't be afraid to add us on Twitter. Or just, you know, like even just questions. Like what what type of questions would you want us to ask a former player? Um, I mean, it doesn't matter who we're interviewing. I think some of these questions, even the stuff we asked Brandon today, they apply to really a lot of different players and a lot of different players can give us a whole different answer. It's amazing. Yeah. And you know, it would just break the kind of the monotony a little bit if we, you know, get some new questions in there and, but yeah, you're right. There's players that'll have different answers and different perspectives based on the coaches, based on the room they were in, you know, where they're from, things like that. All right. So we just want to plug Brandon real quick. Um, His Twitter is, at Brandon Riley 87 and the Riley is R-E-I-L-L-Y, not R-I-L-E-Y, like Mike. So follow him, and make sure you follow us at NBNR Podcast, and you can also find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You know, on Twitter, we're always giving out our latest hot and cold takes on there. All the time. I got all the hot takes. So, hey, follow us. We got it for you. And um, you'll, you'll find the latest episodes on all those platforms. We're everywhere. We're worldwide. We got it going on. And we might have a up-and-coming sponsor. We will see. Yeah, not just up-and-coming sponsor, maybe, but maybe some former players. We'll see about that, too. No promises, right? Hey. Never know. No matter all we do know is that we'll keep it real here on the MBNR podcast. Absolutely. Uh, let's uh, let's just give it a close out here. Yeah, and we just want to, again thanks to Brandon. We want to thank you guys for listening to the No Block No Rock podcast. This is one of your hosts, Jared Hall, Mike Delaware, Eric Mom. And, and thanks again for listening. And as always, GBR. <laughs>